Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about cation exchange capacity and just discussing soils a little bit. But if you've got any questions about that or anything going on in your farm, you can certainly give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on X at AgPHD Media or Brian Hefty. All right, so let's talk about cation exchange capacity just to open things up here. And by the way, we will get to the AgPHD mailbag a little bit later in the show. And again, we're more than happy to take your calls and questions all throughout the show. But cation exchange capacity, here's why it's important. We just went through this yesterday on the show, had somebody call in about soil. And we were talking about soil type, basically. Oh, yeah, this is a sandy soil. I'm like, okay, well, what's the cation exchange capacity? Oh, it's like 24. <laughs> I go, okay. There may be some sand in there, and you may, be, you may consider that your sandy soil. But the reason why we like the number that cation exchange capacity gives us is now we're all talking apples to apples. We're all on the same page. Because here's here's another example, and I've given this example a few times on the show before, but I was up speaking in Canada, up in Manitoba, and I had a farmer walk up. This was probably, I don't know, five, six years ago. I had a farmer walk up after I, I talked about soils all day, and he goes, all right, I want you to look at my soil test here, and here's my light sandy ground. He hands it to me, and I look at it, and it's a 33 cation exchange capacity. And I go, whoa, 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 okay, this isn't light or sandy at all. He goes, well, it's my light and sandy ground. And then he hands me the next soil test. It was a 41 CEC. Okay, so let's let's put this in relative terms right now on what we consider light and heavy. If you are at above 20 cation, cation exchange capacity on a soil test, if you're above 20, we're going to call that a heavy soil. If you're below 10, we're going to call that a light soil. Now, if it's below 5, that is a real sandy and very likely low organic matter soil. Okay, so here's what cation exchange capacity is. It's a measurement of the type of clay you have in your soil, the amount of clay you have in your soil, and the amount of organic matter. So just ask yourself, can you change the type of clay? No. Can you change the amount of clay? Uh, extremely unlikely that you're going to haul in a whole bunch more clay or take a whole bunch off. So no, that's not going to change either. The only thing you can really change if you want to influence cation exchange capacity is the amount of organic matter in your soil. So the more organic matter you have, the higher your CEC, the lower level of organic matter, the lower the CEC. So what we're talking about really, and the reason why they call it cation exchange capacity is this. Soil is negatively charged. So what can the soil then hold if it's negatively charged? Just think about magnets. Simple thing you learned in grade school. If you've got a negative magnet and another negative magnet, well, they're going to repel, right? If you've got a positive magnet to go along with that negative, it's going to attract, it's going to bind, okay? That's what's happening in your soil. The cation is the positively charged nutrient. It can bind with your negatively charged soil. So, the more, the heavier your ground, the more of those cations, the more of those nutrients that soil can hold. 
that's really what it amounts to. So that's what we are learning by looking at this cation exchange capacity number. It's the more holding capacity your soil has, period. And in terms of holding, what we're talking about, it's not just nutrients, obviously. The heavier your soil, as you know, the more water it can hold. And quite frankly, the more herbicide it can hold as well. So that's one thing we talk about quite often. Uh, We discuss this a little bit when we're talking fertility just about every day because I want to know what what we're dealing with here. How much of anything can my soil hold? That's tremendously important, and that's the reason why we need to know what that cation exchange capacity number is. There are a lot of farmers out there who just, I mean, I ask them, and they're like, well, I got got heavy ground. Again, that means something different to everybody. I also occasionally will read some articles where people say, well, it's not important to know your cation exchange capacity. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Otherwise, I don't know how to make a recommendation for you. I mean, it goes along with literally everything. I mean, we were talking about fertility. Well, obviously, the more can exchange capacity you have, the higher your CEC, the more fertility you can hold. We even talk about nitrogen with that, but uh, and take ten times the CEC, and we'll tell you or can exchange capacity CEC, and take ten times that. And then we'll tell you, hey, roughly at any one time, that's about as much nitrogen as your soil can hold, just to give you a general ballpark. But this kind of exchange capacity thing, it even goes to like our topic for, from yesterday. We were discussing drain tile. And we were also saying, hey, in some of these heavier soils, you have to have the spacings closer together. Well, if I know the cation exchange capacity, then I have a real good idea how close together that tile spacing needs to be. Now, that's not going to be exact. There are a lot of other things that go into that, of course. But I'm just saying that really gets us a long ways. So that's tremendously important, that that this cation exchange capacity thing. We absolutely need to know it. It's a simple test. Pretty much any lab can run that. We can also make a calculation on cation exchange capacity if we just know your parts per million of things like potassium, magnesium, calcium, sodium, uh, we're going to, we're going to get pretty close. So the more nutrients are, that are sitting in your soil, the odds are the higher your cation exchange capacity. When you have a real sandy, low organic matter, very, very light soil, you and I both know it cannot hold much for nutrients. So Anyway, we can get a pretty good idea looking at the soil test without the CEC, but I'd really like to know what is our CEC or cation exchange capacity. So we're going to talk about that a little bit throughout the show today. we got some great questions coming up in the Ag PhD mailbag later as well. Uh, one from down in, let's see, I believe Brazil or Argentina. Uh, yeah, Brazil. We've got one from Brazil dealing with soils. We get everything from questions about sycamore trees to uh, just more herbicide questions, you name it. It's all coming up here on Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarland Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com. 
Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year. BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, just talking about cation exchange capacity, but we're also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We're going to go to the phone lines right now. we got Joe calling in from Kansas with a question about residue tie-up. Hey, Joe, how are you today? I'm fine. Is this Brian? Yep, this is Brian. Okay, Brian, this is Joe Bradford from Lebanon, Kansas. Yeah, Lebanon is the center of the 48 United States. I'm just going to run you through a couple of things. My wife and I have been married 60 years. We still live in the same place. I just planted my 64th consecutive wheat crop last year. In 2022, our wheat got hailed out. We left it stand. I sprayed it, sprayed it, sprayed it, planted wheat this spring. The soybeans uh, sprayed it, sprayed it. Last year's wheat crop was just moderate, not real heavy uh, straw. Beans planted, they got real good size, uh, not uh, much for yield, too dry in August, about 10 bushels. Okay, here's my question. Both crop residues are laying on the ground. I take the no-till John Deere drill out there this fall, drill wheat, wheat comes up. Yep. Soil test calls for 35 pounds of nitrogen. How much additional nitrogen am I going to have to put on because of the residue tie-up? Okay. So, first of all, thanks for the uh, the backstory there, Joe, and congratulations on your 64th wheat crop in a row. That 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 that's a lot of crops. <laughs> you you <laughs> You'd think with 64 plantings, I'd know what to put on. But normally, I'd knife in N yep. before I plant wheat. Yep. Not this year. We're so short of moisture. Yep. I had just enough to get the wheat up and looking good. I could not afford to lose the moisture to knife it in. But go ahead. Yeah. So I was just going to say, when we're talking about residue, straw from 
well, wheat straw, that wheat stubble you got there, it's got a high carbon to nitrogen ratio. But the thing is, you, yes. you just gave me part of the answer here because you said this is double crop, right? So you had soybeans after that? Yes, soybeans yeah. after the right. weed, yeah, right. in this spring. Right, and so even though there's residue out there today, it's not sitting nearly as high in that carbon to nitrogen ratio as it was prior to you planting the beans, the beans growing, the beans producing nitrogen, and bacteria starting to work on that residue. So normally what we would say if it was wheat going right back to wheat, Okay, I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna definitely throw a fair amount of extra nitrogen there to help turn that carbon to nitrogen ratio good. So, and by good, I mean roughly 16 to one carbon to nitrogen ratio is about even. Okay, when it's higher than 16 to one, like as high as 80 to one at the peak with wheat straw, is what they say. Well, then what's yeah. going to happen is the bacteria will use nitrogen as a food to break that in the process of breaking the the wheat straw down until they get it down to about that 16 to 1 ratio and then usually things kind of balance out. So anyway, I, long explanation here, but what I, where I'm going with this is would I consider throwing a little bit more nitrogen out there? Probably. I don't think I'd get real carried away though because you had that bean crop there. You've had plenty of time to break that down. And so if your soil test is calling for 35 pounds of nitrogen, I, I'm not going to fault you for that. That's that's a definite. And then to answer your question specifically, how much more would I throw out just to help overcome this tie-up? I mean, if it's me, I'd probably consider throwing another 10 or 20 pounds out there. But like I say, I wouldn't get super carried away. Now, a lot of times, like I was saying, if we were going, let's say it was wheat right back to wheat, or if it was corn stalks going right back to corn, then a lot of times we'll talk as much as 50 pounds, maybe even a little more than that. But in your situation, 10 or 20 pounds should more than do it, I would assume. Okay. All right. See, that's that you're, you're helping me a lot there. In other words, that wheat straw has already went through a process being just been laying there over yes. a year. Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. So yeah, okay. it, it's been sitting there for quite a while. It, I'm not going to say our, our carbon to nitrogen ratio is perfect yet, but if with a little bit more nitrogen, you'll probably get there. It'll probably be fine. This kind of goes along okay. to a, a little bit with our topic today, Joe, where we're talking cation exchange capacity and basically the heavier the soil and the less rain you get, the more nitrogen you can put out in the fall safely. But if you've got a whole bunch of high carbon residue, that changes it a little bit. In other words, like for us on our farm, we raise a lot of corn and a lot of continuous corn. Well, if I've got high carbon corn residue, it's same thing as wheat straw, I can throw some extra nitrogen out and I don't have to worry about losing it. It's going to get tied up in that residue temporarily for maybe yep. three, six, nine months, something like that. Eventually it'll come back into the system, but in the short term, it's not going anywhere. It's stuck. So yeah, throwing a little bit of extra nitrogen out, you should be just fine. Oh, hey, yeah, one other thing yeah. that I'll throw out there, Joe. Sulfur also can be somewhat important. So I don't know how your sulfur levels are in the soil, but you know, a lot of times when we're throwing nitrogen out, we throw just a little bit of sulfur with it too. That sometimes can help speed the residue breakdown and it's needed for the crop as well. Just another thing for you to think about. Yeah, the soil test calls for most of it about nine, nine to 10 pounds of sulfur yep. and about 20 pounds of chloride. Hmm. 
So you must yeah. not. Yeah, I, that's true. Yeah, I, I forget where you're at. You're in central Kansas, where your your potassium levels are usually pretty high. Correct. Uh, my potassium levels uh, running around. 450 parts per million. Yep, exactly. See, I never have this chloride issue because we're constantly putting potash on. Just every, almost every year we're putting potash on. Well, that gets me all kinds of chloride. So, yeah, I don't even have to think about that. But anyway, yeah, you can take care of that chloride issue real quick with just a little bit of potash and you'll be in good shape. Yep, yep. I'm thinking about going... uh, Doing a doing a dose of uh, probably liquid N, liquid sulfur, liquid chloride, and yep. uh, uh, doing it this probably. Uh, I'm I'm thinking I'll probably do it before freeze up and just let sure. Mother Nature take it down and yep. go from there. Yep, yep, that sounds good to me. And, All right, well, and hey, probably about and probably about half of what it needs and. And hopefully I'll get some moisture, and if it looks good, then I'll give it some more next spring. Definitely. Now, one of the things, too, Joe, that I would bring up when you talk about being having dry weather and everything, we always want to make sure we're a little on the early side. So, I'll, And I'll just use the state of Illinois as an example here. So uh, the, in Illinois, they get way more rainfall than we do. A lot of guys, 40 inches of rain. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's how much we've had in three years. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> when when you get rain every other day, then you can you can time your nutrients very close to when the nutrients are needed in the crop. For you and me, when right. we're in drier areas, we have to think ahead a little bit because I don't know when the next rain's coming. So if nope. I see, hey, rain's going to come, and, yeah, it's a little bit early to put the fertilizer on, I'm probably still going to do it just to make sure it gets into the soil, gets into the plant, and we've got it there rather than, oh, I I put it on. I've done this many times, unfortunately. I put it on. I don't get rain for a month, and then I lose a little bit of the fertilizer, and when the fertilizer finally goes into the plant, it's too late. So anyway, just make sure you're a little on the early side and you should be in good shape. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to go anywhere this time of year anyway. No. Same thing for us. All right. Thanks for calling in, Joe. Good luck down there. You bet. Thanks, Brian. You bet. Yeah, Joe had uh, had some good questions there, and it it, it does. I'll, I'll just put it this way: it gets frustrating when you have poor crop, and you get down to the point where you're like, "Oh boy!" I and you know we're talking. What did I say? An extra 10, 20 pounds of nitrogen. That really doesn't cost that much, but unfortunately, we have to ask those questions and really fine tune our, our our agronomic plan to get it so economically things can work out and you know when we're in these drought years we got to be smart with our money so we make it through and then hopefully we're doing well when the good times come uh, and then everything's great you build some up and then you survive some of those bad times again but anyway uh, with uh, with this whole topic getting back to cation exchange capacity I, I I just still come back to hey if you've got heavier soil, higher cation exchange capacity, more organic matter. Your soil can hold a few more nutrients, which is a good thing. But like I say, even in dry weather, we got to make sure that we're getting the nutrients out a little more in advance than if you're getting rain uh, every other day or certainly every other week. All right, stay tuned. We'll talk more about CEC right after this. 
Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel bin full of corn, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 1,000 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Can you predict the future? I can't. That's why when I'm planting soybeans, I treat with Heads Up Seed Treatment. With more than 15 years of research, Heads Up offers proven protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome. So no matter what the year throws at you, you've already taken that first step to be prepared. Don't let your beans suffer from disease when they're just starting to look their best. Tell your seed dealer you need Heads Up Seed Treatment. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Are you ready? We got the need! The need for seed treatment! Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Since when does every upgrade to your planter have to cost $1,000 a row? To me, good engineering means you create a simple tool that works in all conditions. I mean, not every attachment has to be complicated and have sensors all over it. With the 360 Wave Closing System, we took a simple approach. It's a blade that rolls moist soil over the seed, eliminating the seed slot. A simple mechanical solution that works. Better results, lower cost. 360 Wave from 360 Yield Center. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. We're going to jump right back to the phone lines. Got Matt Swanson on with us. He's part of the Extreme Ag Group and Farms in Illinois. Hey, Matt, how are you today? Doing good, Brian. How are you? Excellent. So we're talking about cation exchange capacity here. How do you use this on your farm when you're looking at your soil tests? <clears throat> so for us, it's it's a, a pretty good indicator of water holding capacity where we where we are. Uh, there are some exceptions, but um, we use it as the foundation of both our, our nitrogen program and through a through a system that measures it on the go, also a, a seeding rate uh, program. 
talk to us more about that seeding rate. So you're doing that based on, in in effect, then how heavy the soil is. So the higher the cation exchange capacity, are you running higher populations than on corn, or what are you doing? Yeah, so typically that's what we'll do. Uh, our higher CECs in our area generally correlate to our prairie soils, so our, our deep black soils, essentially. Yep. Um, yep. The timber soils are heavy and they do hold water, but uh, the CECs aren't quite as high and, and they have their own challenges. So we use it uh, on the seeding rate to essentially the the higher the CEC, generally the lower our soybean populations and yep. the higher our corn populations. Yep, that's exactly what we recommend. So when did you figure that out on the soybean side to lower your populations in the better ground? So I think the start of it was probably 10 to 12 years ago when we when we were still drilling beans yep. and you'd see, you know, if we seeded a, a heavy rate or a standard rate at the time of, you know, 180, 200,000, we had higher white mold issues and things like that, which caused yield loss, obviously. Um, so when we started backing that down, then we saw it go away, but we saw our yield start to drop on our, on our lower CEC. So at this point, you know, we're down in the 75, 80, 90,000 on our black soils or our high CEC soils for the most part. And we're still at the 120 to 140 range on our, on our lighter soil. Sure. Yep. All right. So with cation exchange capacity, one of the components of it is soil organic matter. Are you doing things to build your soil organic matter or where you farm, you already have high enough levels of, of organic matter? So we try not to do anything to damage this organic matter we already have. So reduce tillage, um, and we've actually moved away from a 50-50 rotation because we were seeing our our water-soluble carbon levels fall uh, in the 50-50 rotation. So we've actually moved back to a two-thirds, one-third corn rotation with a uh, cereal grain cover crop or a a forage crop mixed in if we can. So... With that cover crop, when are you doing that? Are you doing it after corn, after beans, all the time? So typically that would, yeah, typically that would be after corn, sure. before after second year corn, before beans. Gotcha. So why just then after the second year corn? Just to get the, just to help with the organic matter thing as you go into the beans, or what's it all about? Yeah, so the that's part of it. We want to keep try to keep our our soil carbon levels up. Um, ahead of those beans because we know they're not going to do us any favors there. And also, you know, we only have a limited amount of acres that we're going to do that on every year. So we just kind of have to be selective in that post-corn, pre-soybeans. Basically, we don't want that higher residue root mass and cover crop ahead of the corn, essentially. We've had years where with our on-planter fertility system, we can get around it. And then we've had drier years where it didn't work out so good. So we've moved it to just in front of beans where it doesn't seem to have the impact. So with that cover crop, are you terminating that at some point? Is it dying off on its own? I, what, what kind of cover crop are you using? So typically we use triticale with some rapeseed or, or uh, you know, maybe some clover mixed in. Uh, usually that's going to be fall seeded, and then we'll either bale that off in the spring ahead oh. of beans or we'll just terminate it with a herbicide. Gotcha. So does that mean that the, you're then waiting to plant the soybeans until you get that that done let's say you wanted to bale it or whatever so in effect then it's not really a cover crop it's an actual cash crop for you isn't it yeah it can be one or both Uh, we like to think of it as a cover crop that pays right but uh, typically (laughs) we would start harvesting that in you know the first of first week of may or so so it it generally doesn't slow our soybean planting down too too late for our area gotcha 
Yep. All right. Well, hey, Matt, it's been great talking to you. I'm sure you're busy over there. So thanks a lot for the time today. And uh, we hope to talk to you again soon. Sounds great, Brian. Thank you. You bet. All right. We got Brent calling in from down in southern Georgia with some questions for us, I think. Brent, how are you today? Pretty good. How are you doing? Excellent. What can we help you with? So, uh, new listener to uh, Rural Radio, not really a grain farmer. We we do vegetables here sure. in Georgia. Yep. Um, double crops, not really any time for a cover crop, maybe every now and then. Sure. Uh, but, so my CEC runs about five. Yep. And um, is there anything that we could do to get that number up <laughs> in between these vegetables or that, that would help that CEC? Okay. So cation exchange capacity, again, and for people who just tuned in, it's a measurement of the type of clay you have in your soil, the amount of clay you have in your soil, and the amount of organic matter. So since you can't change or nobody's going to be willing to change the type of clay or the amount of clay, basically the only thing we can do to raise that CEC or cation exchange capacity is increase soil organic matter. The five ways we talk about for increasing soil organic matter are these. Number one, reduce tillage. Number two, it's plant crops with lots of roots. So, for example, like up here in the north, we talk about corn versus soybeans because corn has roughly five times the root mass of soybeans. Uh, number three, it's use manure or compost. Four is cover crops and five is biologicals. Uh, but the main thing is really that tillage and then if you say, okay, I, cover crop is probably out for me. All right, that's fine. I'm raising vegetables, so I'm not going to change, you know, and get some crop like corn or anything out there. Okay, so now you're kind of left with this. It's either reducing tillage or going no-till or using more manure, compost, something like that. Uh, so it, it, it's a real challenge. And, and I'll be honest yeah. with you, Brent, when you're in that light of soil – um, you're never going to get to even 10. That's impossible. So to raise your soil organic matter a little bit, though, it definitely can help. So farmers we've worked with in Georgia before have told us, hey, where we've done a lot with manure and compost, reducing tillage, and some of these other things I talked about, planting crops with lots of roots, all that kind of stuff, over a longer period of time, we've increased the soil organic matter, and now it is a little bit more productive soil, and it just, in effect, gives you a little bit more cushion for if you miss the rain or you don't get it watered on a certain day or whatever, you just have a little more cushion there so everything doesn't turn to a disaster so quick. Because as you know, it gets real hot down there, and if you don't have the water to it just at just the right time, you are in trouble. Right. So, so like rye or yep. weed or something yep. like that. Does yep. it have? Is it got a lot of roots? Or? Yep. Yes. Yes. Those those kind of things absolutely can help. Yep. But I I'm assuming with your vegetable crops you're you're raising you're probably having to till that in and you have have these crops that don't have tremendous root systems. Correct. Oh no no most a lot of stuff's grown on drip irrigation, yep. um, and and raised beds. Uh, yeah. And um, we can't use manure because of food safety. Oh, yep, uh, yep, yep. Can't use manure. So, uh, um, yeah, and a lot of times we turn to dirt to bury diseases. Yep. So, yeah, not not a lot we can do, but 
I've noticed some of the vegetable farmers around are trying to go in with something like it looks like a, a mixture of maybe wheat, rye, some radish, or or yes, or some type of mustard. Yep. Uh, and they're they're going in and doing that. Yep. And uh, that would help. Yes. You know, I know we're not going to gain a lot, but a little bit. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing. It's just it's incremental gains. Even if you can gain just a little bit, that that definitely can help. So yeah, if I was you, I'd I'd start small and and try some things out, see what works for you, and kind of go from there. The other thing with the food safety thing, aren't you able to do compost? You just can't do manure. You can do compost, though, can't you? You can't. I think some compost maybe, but you yeah. have to be real particular with that so you, <laughs> because you can spread diseases. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, hey, Brent, thanks a lot for calling in. Good luck. Hope that helps just a little bit. And uh, let us know how you turn out over time. We appreciate it. All right. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Get the most from every acre on your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting a bunch of free workshops throughout January and February with each event focusing on different subjects that will all help you make more money. On January 16th, we start off with our soils clinic dedicated to helping you better understand your ground and how to make the most out of your fertilizer investments. We follow that up on January 17th with our corn agronomy workshop where we review our top tips for expanding profitability in your corn. Then on February 7th, we have our Naturals Workshop, which is devoted to one of the newest developments in increasing yields across the country, natural and biological products. Finally, on February 8th, we're holding our Soybean Agronomy Workshop to go over how to make the most of your soybean crop. As you can probably tell, we have a lot of great information on how to improve your farm, and we can't wait to share it all with you. Best of all, these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Learn more and register at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. 
Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio, just talking about cation exchange capacity today. And next on the show, we've got Stephanie Zelenko with us. She is with AgroLiquid. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, so talking about cation exchange capacity, or CEC, um, you work for a fertilizer company. How do you use this at your company, and how do you encourage farmers to use this cation exchange capacity number that they'll see on their soil test? Really, the answer is the same. How I use it and how I encourage growers to use it is, you know, the same answer. Um, when I'm looking at a soil test, it's the first place I go to look because it's going to give me that quick snapshot. Am I dealing with a sandier soil or a heavier soil? And then that allows me to, you know, move down that soil test and look and see what that soil balance is because that's where I want to start on a soil test is, you know, what am I working with? What are my situations? Um, how is that balance? And then I can start transitioning to those specific nutrients that, you know, you expect that fertilizer side to address. Earlier in the show, I was just talking about a couple of examples where people had, I'm not going to say misled me, but when they described their soil and then I looked at the cation exchange capacity, um, I, I got two different pictures of that. So does that happen to you often as well? It is. It's kind of funny because when you're asking a grower, you know, is it heavy ground or light ground yep. or is it is it sandy? Yep. Um, it's all relative to the area you grow in. You right. know, I'm from Michigan. A sandy soil could be, you know, for CEC, really, really light. Yep. Um, but in other parts of the country, you know, that have, you know, higher soils, their sandy soils might be a 15 or 16 CEC. Right. And those recommendations can greatly vary based upon that. So I don't like, you know, that sandy or light or heavy texture soil. I like looking at those hard numbers. Right. Okay. So you talked about how it can change recommendations. So specifically talk to us about that and maybe any recommendations you make based on cation exchange capacity. So CEC is essentially measuring how much your soil can hold. So if we're dealing with those single digit numbers, I know um, those nutrients aren't going to stick around or hold, be held in that soil as long. And so when we're dealing with, you know, balancing the soil, say for potassium, you know, how much potassium you can apply to change that level, um, a lower CEC is going to take a little bit, a higher CEC is going to take much more. So I'm going to have to adjust my recommendations knowing what my soil can hold. And the same thing even with those negative charges, it's going to let me know how much nitrogen I can hold and let it stick around or what's going to actually leach through that soil. So what else, what other questions do you get from farmers and from agronomists that, that tie somehow, some way to cation exchange capacity? The things I look at is, you know, that connection between cation exchange capacity and base saturation, um, looking at, you know, how do those two relate, and then it ultimately leads to that discussion on pH. And so having that CEC number can give you a lot of initial information, and then you can, you know, you just work your way down through that and open up a number of other conversations. So that balance of the base saturation which ultimately leads you to the amount of hydrogen you have. And then you can, you know, transfer that into a pH conversation. And then it goes right back to that CEC. If you need to make a lime application, um, a lower CEC is not going to need as much lime as a higher CEC. So all of it's going to be connected. And, you know, it's a good starting point, especially for those growers that don't look at a soil test very often, uh, to get that conversation and education point started. On an unrelated note, Stephanie, I'm just curious, what's the number one fertility question you've had this fall? 
this fall? That's an excellent question. I think um, the number one thing that growers have asked, and again, my experience a lot has been here in Michigan. I haven't traveled much is, you know, we've had a a dry, hot year. We haven't used a lot of nutrients. Um, How do I know what's left? (laughs) And, you know, it's just, you know, it goes back. It's funny that, you know, it goes back to those simple questions. What do I have? And it's a really simple answer. A soil test is going to tell you. Um, But I know guys are focused on harvest and trying to get that done. So soil testing isn't top of their mind. But, you know, that's always going to be the best way to determine what you have left, if anything, and how you're going to approach next season. But I think that also shows you how many people don't really want to soil test. And quite frankly, I don't want to either. It does cost a fair amount of money on our farm. I spend tens of thousands of dollars each year on soil testing. But if I don't have that, I'm guessing. So I get the same kind of question. So basically what you're telling me, Stephanie, is all these people you're talking to wanted you to guess how much fertilizer they had, and then they were going to go from there and make their own recommendations, right? Exactly, for (laughs) sure. And, you know, it is. It's a guessing game, and the best way that you can eliminate that is having a good soil test frequently so you can help make better management decisions. And it costs a lot of money, but ultimately in the end, it's going to save you money because you can, you know, fine tooth and um, get specific recommendations and not over apply or under apply. That's Stephanie Zelenko with AgriLiquid. Stephanie, thanks for the time today. Appreciate having you on the show as always. Thank you. All right, we're going to head north of the border up into Canada, Saskatchewan specifically, and talk to our friend Kellen Huber up there with Keltec Ag. Hey, Kellen, what's going on in your area today? Well, today we're getting a little bit of sunshine, a little bit of cloud, a little bit of snow, a little bit of rain. You know, <laughs> just give it 15 minutes as you're driving down the road. You're never sure what's going to happen next. Sounds like a typical day up there. So uh, we're talking cation exchange capacity today. What uh, what amazing stories about cation exchange capacity do you have for us today, Kellen? Oh, <laughs> CECs are always a great conversation, and you know, listening to the, as I'm driving down the highway here, listening to the show today, you know, one of the things that I'm finding is a lot of soil samples out there don't actually record CEC or base saturation. They just focus on parts per million. And I'm going, okay, that's really good on the parts per million, everything, and that's good. But how does that relate to your soils? And they kind of get a blank, you know, it goes blank. And I'm going, okay, because, well, this little legend that's in the top of the corner here says, well, we got very high levels of potassium. And I run into this problem all the time. Sure. I says, okay, interesting. What's your CEC, your soil? Well, it's not on the test. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> then that kind of goes to another whole story. And yeah, so CEC is extremely important. You know, you've, you've laid out all the different uh, combinations of clays, clays textures, or organic matters and everything. And the, But one thing I got to comment, Brian, is you talk about reduced tillage. Yep. Up here, I got to start doing some tillage because our CECs are off the charts. You know, our bulk density is so high that there's nothing left in there to hold water and everything because, as you mentioned earlier, CEC is the combination of five cations, calcium, magnesium, potassium, hydrogen, and salt. And in that formation, I find that in my balance, my magnesium is so high. So you've talked about, like when you were talking about the gentleman uh, from down south that has a 5 CEC and yep. he's trying to raise his CEC. Yep. I'm trying to bring mine down. Yeah. 
so I can get some porosity in there, get some water holding capacity, you know, not the soil being so tight. And CEC up here, we love to be in the 20s and the 30s, but when you get into the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, you're just struggling every which way from Sunday. Now, this is one of the things Neil Kinsey brings up is when your cation exchange capacity is that high, is it real? And so he has this cation displacement test run. And there's also this talk about, well, are we running a true cation exchange capacity test or are we just calculating it? Is there free lime? Is there other stuff that's sitting out there that's throwing our number way off? So, Kellen, I only got about a minute left before the break. So, uh, And if you want to hang on through the break and, and talk more about that, that would be great. But do you have any quick sure. answer? Well, that's how much the, the free lime and everything else is the stuff that's floating that is not attached to the clay colloid. So take a circle, and if there's everything stuck around the circle and you still got high CECs, that means there's floating uh, nutrients that are around, and we could talk about that in a bit. Yeah, yep, that sounds good. Yeah, hang with us if you wouldn't mind. Uh, just stay on through this break, Kellen. We'd appreciate that. Okay, so it, let me let me just explain this a little bit more uh, for, for everybody listening right now. Right after the break, we're going to talk about this in a little more detail because with cation exchange capacity, it can, if the number is really high, it could potentially be off because most labs just do a calculation for, for cation exchange capacity, so we'll explain that. But then Neil Kinsey has this test run called the cation displacement test that, hope, that helps sort through that a little bit. So we just want to go into a little bit more detail. Again, we're talking with Kellen Huber with Keltech Ag. And so we'll try to explain that in a little more detail coming up right after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plans, do you think you could cut your farm's fertility expenses, maybe even increase your yields? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're holding our Ag PhD Soils Clinic on Tuesday, January 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the single most important day you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility, 
and with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. So right before the break, I was talking about this cation exchange capacity and how you can actually test for cation exchange capacity. You can do that using a hydrometer. That'll give you the most accurate reading. But the thing is, that takes time, costs money, and so what most labs do is they just run a calculation. What they're looking at is potassium, magnesium, calcium, sodium, hydrogen, the five nutrients that we figure in the base saturation test. You look at the, the atomic weight of each one, the number of valences, and then you're taking atomic weight per valence times 10. To you. I mean, this is kind of a, a complicated formula, but the point is the more of all those nutrients I have in the soil, if I'm running the calculation, then the higher my cation exchange capacity. And so right before the break, I was talking with Kellen Huber with Caltech Ag, and, and Kellen, thanks for hanging on with us through the break. But yep. anyway, I just yep. wanted to have you explain that just a little bit more because Neil Kinsey does run this cation displacement test, and the main reason why is because if you've got free lime in the soil or just lots of calcium carbonate, you've got ridiculously high levels of magnesium or something like that, and both of those things can happen, especially in areas like mine and, and yours. So how important is this cation displacement test? Do you use that at all? Or how do you figure out, am I really dealing with a 60 CEC or is it more like a 35 or 40? Yes, and you're right on that. And I'm glad you explained everything because I'm driving down the road here. So, you know, talking about all the calculations, there is a lot of time <laughs> that goes into that to figure everything yeah. out. Yep. But your 60 CEC soil, that's what a standard soil test will spit out because it's the easiest way to describe it. Sure. But, yeah, you are correct. It's about a 38 because there's – take, for example, I was going to use a, a Canadian loony versus your silver dollar. And you just use that as a circle. And on that circle, there is the five cations that hold on to that clay colloid because we're simulating that clay colloid. Yep. And then what happens is magnesium is a triple positive, so it takes up all the room first. As much magnesium as it can, it'll attach onto that. And calcium is a double positive, so it'll take and attach to the rest of the area. And then we start working down in the polarity scale, uh, potassium, hydrogen, and salt. Okay, And salt is the second strongest, 
hydrogen being the weakest, and then potassium kind of sits in there, and it's kind of the little little one in the sandbox that kind of gets pushed around a lot. And with all the free products that are sitting in the soil that can't attach to that uh, clay colloid because there's technically no room in the end, well, all that floats all and around in the soil. Yeah. So when you grab a handful of it, yeah, you got a 60 CEC soil, but what happens after is how you break that down and how does that translate into holding water? How does it holding nutrients? So what happens then is that they remove all that free lime, that free, and it is mostly, I, I, some of the soil samples that I do up in here, we actually test for saturation carbonates and figure out whether they're calcium carbonates or whether they're magnesium carbonates or what that is. Yep. But that actually takes, and you remove that, and then you get a clear picture of what's actually going on in your soil. And from a nutrition point, you want to try and create and work with a lot of that uh, nutrients that are attached to that clay colloid, because the free ones, you never know where they're going to show up, okay? Uh, they float in the soil. They can yep. move around with water. They can move around a little bit with tillage. The plants don't seem to attach to them as quickly, but it definitely affects your nitrogen availability. It definitely affects your potassium availability, yeah, especially your phosphate availabilities too, because they're floating in there. And they will also, because they're a positive ion, they will attach to those negative ions too, and then hold them. Now, carbon, you get some carbon in between there. You, you take and create some organic matter in between there. And that creates a little bit of a barrier, which then microbial activity will help break that down. And you'll see a lot more nutrient availability. But it is critical to have a K displacement test. I do a lot of them in Saskatchewan so that we can really truly understand what's going on in our soils. And it's very, very helpful. Okay. So one of our objectives all the time is to try to keep stuff simple for people. And when I look at a soil test, yeah, I know, and this isn't very simple. So that's why I, here's what, here's my next question for you, Kellen. How do you yep. fix it? So, uh, and I'll, let me, let me just describe something that we've done down here and then you can talk about whatever you do up there. But for example, we worked with a grower and I've got the soil test we showed at our, our soils clinic this last winter. So this is why I'm just thinking of this particular farmer where he had really high free lime and it was throwing everything off. I'm going to say the CEC on the test originally was like 88. And we're like, no, oh, it, wow. it's crazy free lime. We got, we got an issue here. And when, when we're talking that high, it's ridiculously heavy. So here's what we did because we had other issues to fix. Got tile in the ground, tiled it pretty well. It took about, and there was really high level of sulfur in there too. It took about six, seven years, something like that, to flush a lot of that free lime out, the excess sulfur, everything else. And then we were starting to get back to normal. So the big thing for us was getting tile in the ground and then flushing out some of the excesses with sulfur and then starting to work with, okay, now what do we actually have here in this soil? So that's, that's kind of what we've done. And when I see those ridiculously high CEC levels, it tells me I got lots of excesses there. And a lot of times drainage is my number one problem. How about for you in your area? I wish drainage was our problem. You know, we run into such tight soils all the time. Uh, we are short on moisture all the time. So what's been working for me is the dreaded T word, the dreaded tillage world. You know, so what moisture we do get in, we're starting to break and trying to solubilize some of that magnesium, solubilize some of that calcium. 
but we have been using a large amount of elemental sulfur so that we can take and create that acidity acidity in the soil and break some of those nutrients and create them flushable. One of the other things we've been doing is subsoiling a little bit just so that we can get some water to move right now, but our compaction layers, when we get that high CEC soils, our compaction layers are so hard, hop high. Like we're talking three inches from the surface, our compaction layers are over seven, 800 pounds PSI, yeah. which we're not getting any root growth. We're not getting any water movement. So we're needing no sulfur. We actually, on, on, on some situations, not in these 60s, but more in the 30s situation, CEC soils, we've been throwing just a little bit of calcium on there just to help to create that porosity. Gypsum we've been using with the calcium and sulfur to take and create that oxidization area, creating the uh, water absorbency factors, you know, and we've been doing all kinds of different types of, plow- of tillage work. You know, we've done plowing, we've done deep ripping, we've done surface strategic tillage. That's one thing that we haven't done enough in Canada is because we've taken away everybody's went no-till, which is great. Don't get me wrong. I love no-till too, but we sometimes do things too long, too much, <laughs> and not take and look at the factors of what actually our soil and structure is turning into. We talk about that all the time. No-till is a tool, just like Yes. Certain tillage things, they are tools. If you overuse almost anything, it can be problematic. So you just have to look at what do I need for a tool in this particular situation. And so, yeah, I, I like no-till. I like reduced till I like building soil organic matter. But there are certainly are times when tillage absolutely can help us in the soil. Just out of curiosity, uh, we don't have much time left here. How, how much rainfall do you get in your area per year on average? Oh, I don't know. Average has kind of been different, but I'm saying we're somewhere, depending in Saskatchewan, we're about two and a half inches to as much as about uh, eight inches on an average. You know, whether, you know, and we're kind of like South Dakota, you know, you get over towards the mountains, you know, over towards the west, you know, reduced amount of moisture, you get farther east, there's more rainfall. So it kind of, but I would say that seven, seven, six, seven inches of rain is, is kind of an average if you were to take all of Saskatchewan, but, you know, like where I am, you know, in a growing season, you're lucky if you get four inches. How about snowfall, though? How much comes out of the snow? Well, snowfall, I really kind of think that you're getting about three inches out of every foot of snow. And right now, we've been, we have so much snow that moves across the plains yep. because it blows so much. We're trying to keep the stubbles a little bit higher so that we can get that good four, yeah. five, six, eight inches of snow cover. So one of the big things we don't lose is the freeze-thaw. You know, uh, we get the dry freeze, and that'll take and reduce moisture, too, yeah. because if there's too much uh, yeah. cold weather. So, yep. All right. Thank hey, you. I sure appreciate the time. You bet. Thanks a lot, Kellen. Love having you on, as always. Again, that's Kellen Huber with Keltech Ag. All right, before we go, just want to say thanks to everybody for calling in, and uh, thank you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.